We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. More thoughts on the FFPC playoff challenge. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards for Gretsch. You can find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotoviz. I didn't really know what to call this one, Sean, but we're, we're definitely going to talk more about the FFPC challenge. I know you mentioned that you wanted to talk a little Dynasty. Our Dynasty team has some players on the block that we're kind of excited to talk about. Mostly, we're just going to talk like we usually do. Well, we are, and it's exciting to be, you know, just, it feels like a handful of hours now away from playoffs starting, which this is a very exciting time just to be a fan. I think the best time of the season. It's also a great time to uh, take those fantasy winnings and turn them into more winnings in the FFPC playoff contest. If your teams uh, didn't do quite as well as you wanted this year, then it's a good time to actually get your wins now. So we're going to go into some of our favorite scenarios, maybe some good sleepers, some mainstream pivots, teams we might fade. And if you're playing some of the other great contests out there, I think that this discussion will also be relevant to that. And like you mentioned, if we end up having some time at the end, we'll chat a little dynasty, just kind of depending on the clock, we'll see if that's something we have to save for the next show. Obviously, we're looking forward to doing a lot of dynasty over the next couple of months. But then we've both been looking at playoffs. We've been looking at the teams. We've been looking at different scenarios. Column and I had a really fun overtime episode uh, that just came out looking at this contest and some of the things we're looking to do. You guys with Ship Chasing had Blair and Hassan on, and those guys are always a blast. So I know you had a really good time with that. Built a little bit of a contrarian team. As we get to this point in the contest, and one of the main things that we know we need to do, Curtis Patrick has a good article up on the site looking at quarterbacks versus the field. You have to play out scenarios, right? And you're going to build it to an extent around the team you think is going to make it to the Super Bowl, hopefully score a lot of points in the Super Bowl. In many cases, you want that to be your QB. But even if you don't, you have to understand the scenarios that you think will play out and how that will have a ripple effect through the rest of your roster. I know that this is something you are focusing on very deeply in your prep. And so I just wanted to start by kind of looking at this and asking you if you had a favorite scenario in terms of the building that you've done to this point. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of a loaded question. I will say um, I'm going to do that thing that that some people do where they just don't answer the question they got asked. Uh, there's a couple big takeaways I have uh, over the last little bit since we chatted on Tuesday for the Wednesday show. 
One is some of the things that we talked about I'm seeing as being very popular. The, the Bengals are a very popular team to take through to the conference championship. And, you know, I'm seeing just like a lot of brackets from, from general NFL people. I don't think it's lost on anyone. It's not lost on the, on the market, on the, on the Super Bowl odds that Tennessee is sort of a, a less, you know, threatening one seed than we typically see. And so it's it's comfortable and easy when you want to pick some upsets to, to feel like you're getting different than the field by picking Tennessee to lose in their one game. And that's going to probably, you know, first thing, it's probably going to make Tennessee a little bit undervalued. They do get to play at home. They could very easily, I think, not not easily, but they could play in the Super Bowl this year. I mean, it's not like that's a an outcome that's improbable. And I think that's going to be ultimately underplayed. Uh, so that's like one thing that I would start with. Well, that's good news, I think, because in the last 24 hours, I find myself coming very much back in the direction of the Titans and, and back off the Bengals with my main roster. So, yeah. again, good to, good to hear that we're we're kind of on the same page there and that my thoughts are tracking with kind of what you're seeing. And one of the things that, you know, we know about the Titans is they've played the other good teams in the AFC tough uh, in the last couple of years, obviously Kansas City, obviously Buffalo. I think they got beat pretty bad by the by the Patriots this year. So that's one where, you know, if the Patriots were to win and go into Tennessee, maybe that's not the the perfect matchup for them. But it is uh it is interesting uh to think of them as a little bit undervalued as a one seed. The other one we talked about on the last show a little bit was San Francisco as a first round upset. I think that's basically become everyone's favorite first round upset pick. One that you really like, I know those are two that on the first show you really liked, but one you did really like that I still think is sort of undervalued is the the idea of playing Kyler in Arizona to go somewhat far. I think there's some real concern with the Rams, and I, I certainly think Arizona can win that first round game. And so that's probably, you know, if I was going to say like my favorite thing relative to market expectations, like I, I think the the Arizona stuff is is very smart. It also seems to me like the that people are maybe undervaluing the Bills a little bit, just because like you know, look, Casey's a very good team, but they have to go into Arrowhead in that second round, and so it's really hard to pick the bills to go very far. I mean, I do think Josh Allen's going to be very popular in this contest, but um, there's some concern that they could lose to the Patriots or some concern they could lose to the chiefs. But I do think the bills are a good enough team. They can beat the Patriots. They can go on and actually beat the chiefs in Arrowhead. The chiefs as good as they are, have had, you know, their issues this year, certainly, but they did also, you know, last regular season. And then they still came into the playoffs. Did, did very well in the, in, in their run to the super bowl. Obviously the super bowl itself didn't go fantastic, but, um, they were able to kind of step up their game. They've been here. They've done this uh, the last several years. Uh, I do think they're going to – they're not going to, like, come out flat or anything. But the, I think the Bills are another team that I'm sort of looking at as being a little bit undervalued just based on their path being difficult and people maybe over-weighting that a little. The The other thing, though, I wanted to mention just as I continue to think about this contest, there it's such a unique contest. We've talked about sort of the parameters. You have to take one player – you can only take one player from from each team. You have 12 lineup spots to fill, so it's a big lineup, you know, relative to like DFS. DFS lineups typically nine nine uh, lineup spots. You have uh, two teams that you're completely fading, but those 12 spots you can't uh, you can't stack on the same team. And so, you know, it's easy to think about this in terms of things like DFS, uh, and there's a lot of variance. And how do we, you know, how do we 
maximize our expected value of our lineup? How do we maximize our potential for winning the contest? Not necessarily picking what we think is most likely to happen, but what, you know, relative to what everyone else is playing, what gives us the best chance to win sort of if we're right on some of those assumptions. One of the really interesting things that you hear from a lot of the really sharpest DFS players is trying to minimize or limit the number of things you need to get right in your lineup. And so, especially when you're playing in like some smaller field, but still tournaments in DFS, one of the things you can do is almost like overstack. You can do like a triple stack. You, you know, you don't, in the smaller field stuff, you don't feel like you have to get everything exactly right. Um, but you, what you're doing when you're doing that is limiting what you have to get right. If you get the quarterback right and, and he brings along at least two of say the three pass catchers, uh, you know, in some scenarios that can be really useful for sort of limiting the variance, but still maintaining enough upside in a small field to win. But even if you're just doing a, you know, a traditional double stack or whatever, there's, there's uh, a, a very popular, obviously line of thinking in DFS to, to limit the things you have to do, right. Do game stacks, do a couple mini correlations from other games. And then your whole lineup maybe only is playing three games. Maybe there's a, you know, a one-off from a fourth game, but a lot of times it's like, you know, I'm double stacking one quarterback with a bring back and a couple of a mini correlations, meaning, I'm playing both sides of one game with a running back and a receiver and saying, if this game script plays out where the running backs team wins, I get those positive game script touches and I get the receivers team passing a lot on the other side. So I'm sort of correlating that bet in terms of both of those players hitting uh, on the opposite sides of the same game. And so you can build this whole lineup where maybe you're only playing three games on the whole slate as like the ones that score a lot of points and it's great for you. That's not something you can do in this contest, especially with the 12 lineup spots. It becomes a real issue where you're 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 almost parlaying a bunch of small bets. And because of that, the 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 this sort of line of thinking that I've been crystallizing over the last two days, because of that, it it really gets back to that point we talked about a little bit on the last show where some of the plays are too thin, going down to a like a one percent player. Like I, I've heard CJ Uzama's name brought up a couple of times. There's a lot of good tight ends in this, and, and we've seen Uzama have some big games. But one of the arguments I would make for not playing him is not just that it's an incredibly low probability that he's the guy for the Bengals. And even if they get beat in one game and there's a lot of variance in one game outcomes, you can see a scenario where he caught two touchdowns and a loss. But even if that is correct and you get that right and you gain a bunch on the field if you do, you can't leverage that into – helping you win the tournament as easily in this contest as you can in other contests, because ultimately that's just like, you're, you're probably playing the other side of that game. Similarly, maybe you're playing Josh Jacobs because you're picking the Raiders to advance, but even when you hit CJ Uzama and Josh Jacobs and you get those parts of it, right. You still have to get the other 10 teams, all of these games and their game scripts and who advances. You still have to get all that, right. You still have to have your quarterback in the super bowl and all of these elements of it. And so, you know, it's this idea of what do you win when you win? If you go really thin with some of these really thin plays, I don't know that you're actually helping yourself as much as as making it worthwhile to go find that play, right? And so we have that tendency in like DFS to think, well, yeah, if I, if I hit on that really low on play and I'm otherwise, you know, mostly playing the chalk and, and, and playing some of the chalk game stacks, I can make some other decisions in my lineup where we sort of know what the best plays are and this and that, and and especially as the salary element comes into play for that week, you can, you can really differentiate with one or two off the wall plays and then eat some chalk elsewhere. 
you know, it's not necessarily how I play DFS, but it is a way that you you can realize the gains of a play like a CJ Uzama. In this contest, you can't really even realize the gains of being right on that one thing. You have to be right on a bunch of different things. And so I, I, I do really think, as we talk about the different ways that you want to build your lineup and those things, you want to be smartly contrarian, but you don't want to be so off the board that you're stacking incredibly low probability outcomes that you don't even actually win a lot when you're right about. And speaking of that, it's interesting you mentioned you think the Bills could be a little bit under-rostered or people are taking them a little bit for granted. But we do have this element of, as we're trying to look at what might happen as the quarterbacks go through. Now, if the Bills go through and they win the Super Bowl, then you're almost certainly going to have wanted to have Josh Allen. So from that perspective, the schedule element maybe doesn't make as much difference. But you were also mentioning before we started that, because I think that one of the things that people really need to consider is completely fading the Patriots or just using their defense. And you said you think this game is going to be pretty close. We've seen the Patriots play two close games with the Bills. I think that the Patriots not necessarily having high profile games that they won down the stretch makes them a little bit of an under the radar type of team. So I would agree with you on that. We also have this weather element where it could be extremely cold. And so uh, this game could feature a very low number of points, might not be very easy to play from any player perspective in terms of getting off to that fast start. Now, again, that fast start is going to be less important if the Bills win the Super Bowl. My thought is that they don't necessarily have a great path for Allen to score like he normally does. Now, he scores so well that even if he doesn't score like he normally does, he could easily end up being a key player in the tournament. But you have the game to start with the Patriots, and then you go with Kansas City, who has limited passing offenses and opposing teams just in general over the last you know, month to six weeks, second half of the season, that kind of a thing. They get through that. And then you would still say that in all likelihood, they play the number one seed, the Tennessee Titans, who are also good at limiting teams, right? And we saw them beat the Chiefs 27 to three. If you can do that to Kansas City, obviously you're in a position where you can hold some of these teams down. They already have a victory over the Bills, although that game was not low scoring. If the Bills make it through all that and then are into the against the Buccaneers or the Packers, we would expect that to be a shootout. The Bills win and Josh Allen scores a bunch of points. And so it's a very strong bet on them winning the whole thing. There might be a situation where if you're trying to keep your team alive to place uh, without the Bills winning, that he might not be as good a quarterback play as some other people like a Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, you would expect Mahomes to be a higher rostered kind of guy for a variety of reasons. Is that something that you're looking at here? Where are your thoughts on this Patriots Bills game when we consider that even the winner might get their players off to a pretty slow start? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. It it is a challenging thing in this contest where you're certain to have at least two team uh, you know, two skilled players from one and done teams in in the lineup because you know there's going to be six teams that lose this weekend we have to play 12 players out of the 14 teams you know a kicker and d are included there but we have to play at least 10 skill players including you know quarterback and tight end running backs receivers and so there's going to be at least two that are one and dones you know we talked about this last week this element uh or excuse me last last show this element of it where um it could be as many as three or four if the titans or green bay also lose and go one and done and if the bracket sets up that way, then you you would have to have at least three teams or at least or potentially at least four teams where you have a one and done from them. Because of that element, 
it is pretty challenging for any team who plays two games to not wind up with a skill player in because even if they get 10 points both times and get to 20, that usually is good enough to, to be in a flex spot and those types of things. I don't know that the, like their defense or their kicker or anything could differentiate enough that, like you were saying, playing maybe the Patriots D, and even if the Patriots D does very well and they win a low-scoring game, if they go on and play a second game, even if their skill players don't do a lot in the first game, it's a really tough needle to thread where the defense still winds up the one that you wanted across a two-game stretch. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, as I'm thinking through this first round game, it is one that you don't necessarily want to be heavily on. At the same time, I do think it's a mistake to like soft fade or fully fade both sides of the game just from a probability standpoint where we do know one team has to play at least two games and those stats can come in the second game. One of the things with the Bills, I totally agree with you on Allen's uh, situation, but like if you're playing Allen and you, you already said this, but even if he doesn't score as much as he normally does against the Patriots and against the Chiefs, if they continue to advance, right, like he would still potentially have two more games. The Super Bowls are worth double points. He can still easily separate as the quarterback that you would want if they continue to win. If they lose, then then there's obviously scenarios where the Bills aren't producing a ton. But even, you know, in a scenario where they beat the, the Patriots and don't produce a lot, go on and lose to the Chiefs and don't produce a lot. I do still think like a Stephon Diggs or somebody because there is no you know salary element or whatever. It's just raw points. I think over two games, even where they're not very productive, Stephon Diggs is probably going to catch eight, nine balls in like a minimum type scenario. And it's really tough for enough one game plays to beat that and be you know the more optimal play. Yeah, I don't think he could fade both sides of it. And if they do make it through and and then lose to the Chiefs, so if you're kind of looking at that as kind of the scenario that you're playing, uh, maybe it's just that we still are, are very, very big on digs. And uh, I guess I shouldn't speak for you, but sort of expect him to bounce back to an extent next season. I, even though, I mean, his his year was very good. It's not like he has anything to be embarrassed about or even that bouncing back would be a necessity for him to be a good fantasy player. But if they lose in what we would expect to be a somewhat high-scoring game against the Chiefs, I mean, that would be absolutely perfect for Diggs. Yeah, one of the ways we talked about Diggs this offseason was this idea of like, um, you know, percentile outcomes or whatever. Uh, I was talking about like, you know, scheme regressions as we related him to to DJ Moore and situation regression. And Diggs moved, moving to Buffalo last year was in a perfect situation and he hit on all the efficiency and everything. And so he went from maybe this like low probability or, or excuse me, low end outcome, you know, maybe like a 20th percentile outcome of, of his range of outcomes back in in Minnesota to then suddenly shooting all the way up past the, you know, regressing to the mean path, you know, to a very positive outcome in Buffalo where he was maybe hitting on like a 90th percentile outcome in 2020. I thought he had the potential to kind of continue that high end, you know, efficiency run and all that. I think basically all that happened this year, like nothing really changed for him, but he just hit on, he just ran colder, right? I had a very low yards per target low catch rate, a lot of things that like, I don't think are actually super indicative of, of what would happen over a much larger sample than just even one season, which can still be a small sample. So it is just kind of like it swung back and now he had a low end outcome for, for, you know, his role and his situation and all that, but was still productive, like you said, and that can swing back here in the playoffs. So I'm, I'm totally with you on that and, and going forward on digs and looking into next year, still very optimistic about him, but yeah, I, I mean, I think he's a good play, and I, I think that's going to be a popular way to play the, the Bills is to play two games, basically. I kind of like the idea of playing Allen or – you were mentioning 
fading the Patriots. So it sounds like you're kind of thinking along those terms that like Dix is, is probably the play that you like for the Bills because you're not, you are thinking that the Bills would probably advance over the Patriots if they're more mm-hmm. of a full fade. And then um, you were just discussing the Bills having two tough games if, if they're not able to continue advancing through KC. And one of the things we looked at was this idea of we want to get big individual games in the loss. And you mentioned that again in the open and Damian Harris, a player who would seem to be someone who fits the weather situation in this game. We know he could have multiple touchdowns, but as I look at things like the game level similarity projections, his numbers are still well below what we would project to get from some other players who would lose in the first round. And so I think I would prefer to be off of him. If I go with any running backs that I go with in this contest, I want to be pass catching backs. And so that moves me back off of really playing any of those guys and not thinking of the Patriots as being a good team to play in a loss. Whereas I think you have some options from the Steelers. I think you have some options from the Raiders. And I mean, you look at, again, the GLSP projections for those guys and looking at potentially big games from Hunter Renfro from Deontay Johnson, I think those guys become very interesting because we could see huge target numbers from them. And I mean, someone like Hunter Renfro, who Pat has projected to be uh, hardly on any rosters, actually looks good for a very solid game and some upside. If you think that the the Bengals are going to really blow this one out, I mean, Renfro could easily give you 20 points in this game and then you're off to the races with your guys who are already eliminated and he's not he's not going to be played a lot like he said so that's a perfect example of like the right type of contrarian play in this contest you don't need to go too far down but run for obviously you know a, a top three skill player in terms of you know expected production in this offense and it's a clear top three i mean like what zay jones is kind of a distant fourth probably but you have Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller, and Hunter Renfro. And Jacobs and Waller are going to be more popular. You can play that third guy pretty easily. There's a lot of situations like that. You can go to, you know, the Bucks. I think Fournette and Gronk are going to be a lot more popular. You can go to Evans. Um, the Cardinals, if you're not playing Kyler or playing them very deep, I think the running backs could wind up popular based on whether we find out if both will be active. But certainly Zach Ertz is going to be somewhat popular but getting to Christian Kirk, like that is not too thin because that's a guy who's like legitimately, you know, seen volume and is a number one receiver if Hopkins is not playing. There's a lot of those types of situations where you can get a guy who's a real contributor who's basically barely going to be played. Kirk's an example of, I mean, even less than Renfro, I think, in terms of expected ownership. People are probably not going to pick him at all. If they were to lose in the first round, Kirk can certainly be the guy who has the biggest game for them if he hits on one or two big plays. But yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the way that I'm thinking about the contest is is things like that, like little creative ways to get different in the first rounds. I don't know if there's like a specific bracket that I like the most. You know, we talked last show, I was kind of excited about Dallas. I'm still excited about them, especially as I'm seeing more and more and more love for San Fran going and winning. I do think there are paths for Dallas to, to actually have a good run. I mean, their defense is good. It would not be all that surprising to me, especially, you know, I know this seems like, not a huge thing. Uh, he is a running back, but having Tony Pollard back, I do think helps them a lot because I do think he's the, you know, the better runner. I, I don't think that's particularly controversial or uh, it's not a unique take. Certainly people have been saying that a lot lately, um, but he does provide them, you know, more, more explosiveness from the running back position. 
Uh, and if, you know, if their defense is able to play at a high level, their pass rush is able to play at a high level and Dak has so many weapons. I mean, it is a pretty well-rounded Dallas team that's getting pretty faded in the first round, which I think is interesting. That's a game where it's a good example of, of the other point though, about finding creative ways to play the first round. Like that's a game that I think people are going to play both sides of quite frequently because they just want to keep their options open. It's kind of hedging where you're like, oh, one of these teams is going to lose but I do think both can win. So I want to put a player in from both sides of this game into my lineup and, um, you know, give myself those different outs so I can play uh, San Fran to win, but I still want to play a, a Cowboys skill player. I, I, I would say the, the flip side of me being high on Dallas is like, if you're playing San Fran to win, I, I think Dallas makes sense as like a good fade or a soft fade, play a kicker, play a defense, and then go play like, uh, you know, Dallas Goddard from Philly, who doesn't have a, a good chance of moving on. So people are going to be less likely to go pick um, a player from that team because they're like, yeah, this guy's not going to move on at all. The reality is when it plays out, there's going to be guys, again, from one game teams that only played one game that are in the optimal. We know one of Dallas and San Fran's one of those one game teams. And so the the rate at which that game's going to be played on both sides and the rate at which Philly's going to be faded, which is, you know, I think Pat's projecting something upwards north of like 70% of the lineups are either going to have no Philly player or the kicker in the defense, a soft fade. It might be north of 80% of the lineups. Um, it like, is it that likely that like say Dallas in a loss has a player that's better than Philly in a loss? I don't think it's as likely as the ownership is going to suggest. And so you, that's like a bet you can make where you know that as like, as people are building lineups, they're going to feel more comfortable playing it one way. But as things play out, it has to play out a certain way. Someone has to lose. And so being willing to take a stand on, you know, on that game uh, by actually fading one of the teams, uh, the Arizona-LA game fits as well. Being willing to fade, say, like the Rams entirely, uh, if you're not going to play Cooper Cup, I think is is a, a smart path there. But you can make some – those are the types of things. Like you can make some decisions like that where you're getting really different from the field. Cup's going to be in so many, so many lineups. But if the Rams are really, really bad – it is possible that other guys get it. I mean, it seems crazy, and I, I want to play Cup in every lineup, but it is possible that he, even in a loss, which you would think that's going to lead to passing and more targets for him, but in a loss is not as good as the best plays from some other teams that lost in the first round. You mentioned like the Steelers, the Raiders. Uh, again, I go back to the Eagles. You talked about on the last show that Goddard has a pretty good matchup. He can, with a tight end premium, he can have a, a stat line, a loss against Tampa Bay that is is really strong, essentially, and can beat like a an average or, or a below average cup stat line. Say Cup gets 15 points and Goddard's able to put up 20. I mean, that's that can happen, and it would get you very different from the field immediately because you're you're different than the 80% of teams that are fading the Eagles, and you're different than the 90% of teams that are playing Cup. And so there's those are the types of little things that I'm looking at i do think from a bracket perspective though sean that this feels like a really chalky year i mean I, I really like kansas city to advance and tampa to advance from the two seeds i really like um the bills i mean i want to play the bills the, the patriots are an interesting underdog play but i do like them uh san fran's the popular upset pick in, in part because they're like the one that makes that just sort of stands out that makes the most sense but i do still like dallas as a team and then i i want to play the Bengals. i mean the raiders Every one of their wins, I think I mentioned this on the last show, but every one of their wins since their week eight bye has been one score games. I think they had five wins in in, in that stretch since week eight on. And uh, four of them were on field goals that were final play of the game field goals. 
we should typically fade one score win loss records. And so uh, I think the Raiders are a really interesting team to just, I mean, they, they could also surprise and I can see why people are interested in them, but they're an interesting team to just be like, I don't trust that they're as good as their record says because they've been winning so many one score games and they've also had some blowout losses. I mean, their, their point differential has not been strong or anything. And then, you know, obviously you have the Cardinals and Rams, which is a little bit more of a toss up, but it would not surprise me if this is one of those years where we actually see a lot of the two, three and four seeds hold serve at home in advance. It's interesting that you were saying earlier that you're moving a little bit more in the direction of Kyler as an interesting play. Obviously he has the hybrid ability could score a lot of points, even if his individual pieces do not. I I've been moving in that same time period a little bit more in the direction of the play that I know you were very high on on Tuesday and just mentioned a little bit more there, but that is Dak. I go through the different projections we have and the different scenarios that could play out and the Cowboys could score a lot of points without any of those individual guys scoring. The CD lamb has not scored well recently. Dalton Schultz, I think is a very good play. His target numbers were down obviously in the last game, a little bit of a, a strange scenario there, but you look at about those guys and how they project against the 49ers it's not particularly strong and yet if they win then you're betting on a scenario where the better <laughs> end of that did play out and then they move through and they have the buccaneers that's a game where prescott could score just an avalanche of points you move through and you play the packers again a shootout type of game where dak would be scoring a lot of points even and perhaps especially in a loss and then you look at that where I think if you're going to play Prescott, you obviously, I think, are, are having to play him with Travis Kelsey, right? Because then you have a couple of different options. Number one, he could they could win. And then if you're in the Super Bowl with Dak, you're feeling very good about how your team does in the, in the contest. It could also be a situation where they could lose to the Packers and you're actually still okay. Because if you have a Packers-Chiefs Super Bowl and you have Rodgers, I mean, you have Devontae Adams and you have Travis Kelsey, both of those guys in the double point game could outscore their quarterbacks and maybe even outscore them by a decent margin. And then you're in a situation where you had Prescott and the quarterbacks who were in the Super Bowl don't beat you. And so I think that you would want to have it set up like that if you went with Prescott, but there's actually a scenario there where he comes through and scores a ton of points for you and really separates himself from the other pieces on their team, like Lamb and like Schultz, and obviously like the And I think the same applies for Kyler, to your point. I mean, I think, you know, the bracket can still play out in a way, say, say San Fran does beat Dallas and goes to Green Bay, Kyler and the Cardinals beat the Rams and then are able to beat the Bucks. You get Green Bay, Arizona in the conference championship because Green Bay is able to beat San Fran. Kyler wins in Tampa Bay as well. Similar thing to what you were sort of just describing with Dak, where in three games he could wind up being – Kyler could wind up being the optimal quarterback if it is, you know, Green Bay who makes it because Adams can just so distance himself even from Rodgers' score, even though Rodgers is the one throwing him the passes, right? And then if it is, you know, Green Bay KC, like you just described, you could have Kelsey be the clear tight end that you needed. So, yeah, those are I, – I, I like that, that call a lot. Well, then once we get back from the break, we'll go into – a few more of the type of pivots that we might be looking for, and we'll kind of check the clock, see if there's any dynasty opportunities. Hello there, Colin Kelly here, co-host of the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast. I just want to take a moment to let you know, as a loyal Rotoviz Podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% off a Rotoviz NFL Pass. 
All you have to do is head on over to rotaviz.com, add the subscription to your basket and add the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. That'll get you 10% off and get you access to all of our content and tools and of course set you up for success in all your 2022 fantasy football rosters. That code is RVRADIO2022. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So then as we come back here now, I think the question is, how do we play the running backs this season? You mentioned that it seemed very chalky to you. And yet most of these plays are going to be guys like Adams and Cup. We talked about them as kind of being the running backs from the past in terms of players who just had such immense upside and really needed to be on your roster there this season here we obviously have henry and the real question is how healthy will he be you know how much rust could there be now them having the buy that's probably the one thing that helps him a little bit you're going to lose that game but if they move through he seems like a pretty clear player if they lose that game we've talked a lot about having aj brown but i'm wondering if people being so on the Bengals actually minimizes a little bit the value of being on A.J. Brown instead of Derrick Henry, and that Henry might be this option to actually have some running back and a little bit of a contrarian play off of the Bengals. And then you have a situation with the Bengals where I think if you play this through, it's a, a very exciting thought to have Chase. We have a, a little bit before the show some news that there's a possibility that Higgins suffered a, a small injury in practice, probably not a big deal. Uh, by the time you're listening to the show, there might be more news on that. So definitely take that into account as you're looking at how you would put together your Bengals portion of it. But if we wanted to keep a running back alive and kind of play both sides of that game, we could go with both Henry and Mixon cover the two running back slots that we need to have. And I guess at this point, like I mentioned in the first half, I'm less interested in Damian Harris. I think that there are some wide receivers. Basically, Deontay Johnson has such a good projection. And if we're expecting the Chiefs to win in them scoring a lot of points, you mentioned on Tuesday, you expect the Steelers to let Ben Roethlisberger throw. Like, you know, if they have 
80 plays throw 75 times. Now, maybe 20 of those are to Harris. <laughs> and did you see yeah. that uh, quote he had this week where he's, I mean, I think it was after our, our last show where he's basically like, yeah, we're going to lose. So we're going to go out there and have fun. And, you know, he's sort of joking. And I think uh, trying to motivate his team in a way that's like, hey, we're going to play free. We got nothing to lose. But at the same time, you, you get that little twinkle in the eye where like, yeah, I, I saw that. And I thought the same thing that we talked about. He's going to throw 50 times. Like they're just going to come out and throw the ball. And, and then you mentioned this element with uh, the Raiders and how you might be off of them completely. James Conner, always an option, but I think that what you kind of said, if you're going with Cup, then maybe you actually do want to fade Arizona completely. And then you start to look at, at the other plays. If I'm building a Patrick Mahomes roster, I think that you have to have Rob Gronkowski, right? And so then you lose Leonard Fournette as your option. Now you could go with Schultz and so it will go with Fournette, but you do have this opportunity to play Mixon, to play Henry, get one of those two guys through into this game against the Chiefs. And, you know, the, the Chiefs have been good defensively, but one way a team will try to beat them there is by completely controlling the clock. You get a little bit ahead. Maybe the Chiefs do commit one of the turnovers they've been so prone to this season. You get a huge number of touches for that running back. And even if Patrick Mahomes has a game where he gets them through, gets them into the Super Bowl, you have that going for you. You have the double points in the Super Bowl for him. But Mixon or Henry could have scored a very large number of points for him, even a loss. So we talked about this in the first show where, you know, those running backs you want in a win, one of those guys would win that previous game. But I guess I still am seeing, even for someone like a Henry, to have just a lot of points here. Yeah, I suppose it's... Um... Not particularly surprising that uh, we're kind of on the, the same stuff here. But since we last talked, I've gone basically right to what you're talking about as well. And it, and it sucks, Sean, because we have to talk about some of the running backs that we like the least I think, in the entire league as some of the best plays or, you know, like to play the least or whatever. And it's it's nothing personal against those guys. But but it can be a relief in the playoffs. I think you even be like, ah, if Derrick Henry and John Mixon score some points, that's all right. I'm actually yeah. playing them. We'll, we'll get we'll get a little even on our previous fades of those guys by actually playing them for once. You you even mentioned Fournette as a guy that you probably don't want to play, you know, based on if you take Mahomes. But I do think Fournette fits in this discussion as well, which is that you know in our last show you talked about sort of the zero RB concept where we would actually be targeting running backs that played only one game. I think that's interesting, but I sort of leaned then as I looked at more of these brackets and things, right like you did, where it's like, well, what about similar but different in the sense that we're kind of looking at the teams that play two games and they're not making deep runs, but basically you just described a bracket where the Bengals win and then maybe lose to the Titans. And so you have two games from the Bengals, two games from the Titans, say the, the Chiefs go all the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, it's kind of the chalk bracket. In that scenario, Mixing in two games, Henry in two games make a lot of sense. You talked about, you know, Mahomes and then, you know, probably wanting Gronk on the other side. And so not wanting Fournette. I think like, let's say we were playing the NFC side, similar to our Arizona discussion where we have Kyler to the conference final and we have San Francisco beating the Cowboys and we have the Packers meeting the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Again, sort of a popular air quote contrarian build where we're, it's not the chalky thing, but it is sort of the chalky upset to pick when you take San Fran over Dallas and then 
uh, it's it's sort of popular to just pick your favorite NFC team right now to make a conference championship run, whether that's Arizona or the Rams or the Cowboys, one of these surprising teams, and go through Tampa, who's a little bit shaky. Um, so in that scenario on the NFC side, you'd end up with two San Fran games, two Bucks games. I do totally agree with your, your point that if you're playing a Mahomes, I think it would make a lot of sense to have Gronk. I would say just in, in that outcome, you could go Kittle, right? You could go Kittle in a two-game San Francisco scenario where Gronk is also playing two for the Bucks and maybe go Evans. Because I think you're probably thinking Debo for the Niners, uh, even if you do have them winning one game, you can certainly go Gronk, Debo, but you could go Kittle, Evans, or Kittle, Fournette, right? And so that's that would be one way to get Fournette in in a two-game scenario. He makes a lot of sense as a, as a running back who's favored uh, in the first round, but maybe not. You know, there, there's certainly – and maybe underplayed to go all the way to the Super Bowl. People are maybe a little bit too down on them. They're certainly live to go to the Super Bowl from the NFC again this year. But they are a team that that has a lot of injuries and a lot of issues. And if you don't want to play them to the Super Bowl, you might be playing them for two games. And if you're playing them for two games, that might be where you want to start to look for a running back. So I do think Fournette could make sense if you're able to pivot, like I said, to a Kittle at tight end or an Ertz, you know, even with the Arizona run, if you're playing Mahomes. Depends sort of how you're you're projecting the bracket but your broad point at running back about Mixon, Henry, Fournette like those are the guys they're going to they're going to be reasonably highly owned they're all going to be i think the most popular plays on their teams according to Pat's ownership projections but they are ones where i'm starting to gravitate more towards like they're not going to be massive massive chalk you mentioned like the Henry AJ uh, AJ Brown thing it does seem like they're getting closer in expected you know, ownership percentage. And if that's the case, like, you know, I, I freaking love AJ Brown. I want to play him no matter what, but the way that we also are saying Tennessee is sort of undervalued as a home favorite in the first round or in their first game, if they're able to win and play two games, I mean, Henry just has so much touchdown equity and all of those things. And running back is the, is the tougher position to fill in this particular contest, this particular year, it's a lot easier to find the wide receiver plays that have real ceilings. And so, I mean, if, if they're going to be very similar in ownership, I, I do think Henry makes a lot of sense. I think Mixon, for the reasons you said, for any of these running backs that could potentially play two games, that's that's definitely where I'm leaning as well. And I think that Henry going all the way through could be a big play for you, even if you lose your QB, as long as it's not Tom Brady, perhaps, who comes through. But even then, you know, you could have a Gronk or an Evans outscore him in the Super Bowl. And so, or you could have a Leonard Fournette outscore him in the Super Bowl if things went to where he catches 10 passes and, and scores three touchdowns. I mean, that was the thing this year is that Leonard Fournette has fallen into this sort of uber back workload. And within the context of that offense, you have completed passes and you have the possibility for a, you know, a three, four touchdown game, in which case you could play Henry, lose your quarterback, but have the right running back on the other side as well. Now, you're going to need to have some other things right. You're going to need to have some of these guys in the first round who play just one game for you, but score a lot of points in that game. But there are ways to play it there to where, I mean, you can roster a lot of the most exciting players and still have the right types of differentiation if you're playing the scenario correctly to have a team that is at least up there in the money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the really the key point you can play a team that is all good football players you know all guys that in a normal dfs slate would have real salaries and, and be real interesting players uh but in this contest especially when you're projecting them you know on, on some of these first round loss teams they're not going to be on enough rosters to be 
you know, they're still going to allow for differentiation, like you said. And so, uh, yeah, I know I, I totally agree with your point as well, where like if Henry were to make a run to the Super Bowl, and especially like if it's against the Packers, if it's against the Rams, you know, like Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup in a long playoff run for those teams can so easily differentiate at the wide receiver position that they have to be the guy. And then you have a quarterback who's not in the Super Bowl. It, it I wouldn't, I, I would shy away from projecting too many brackets or, or building too many teams where you're sort of, banking on a scenario where your quarterback is not in the Super Bowl. But I do think there this year there there are certainly those paths. Because the wide receivers have those quarterbacks covered. Yeah, exactly. I mean that like Rogers, I think, is a really tough play. And I've seen him brought up a couple of times. But if you're talking about it, like it, it's it's possible. The way that I would see it happening, like they win two games, they get to the Super Bowl, and then Rogers has a big Super Bowl in the two times point again you get double points for for the super bowl points and so you really want the key pieces from that final game i mean that's sort of like really where you should be starting your build is who are the guys that wind up scoring a lot in the super bowl because you're getting double points for that and if rogers had a big game in the super bowl and for some reason it didn't go through adams he threw multiple touchdowns to alan lazard marquez valdez scantling aaron jones whoever it spreads out uh and doesn't go to adams that's the path for playing Rodgers, but to me, it's very thin in, in two levels. One, you're projecting the Packers to the Super Bowl already, which is sort of a thin thing. And then two, you need the specific Rodgers game to happen in the Super Bowl. I mean, he could have that game in the first round, and then in the Super Bowl, he hits Adams enough that when Adams has his big target share games, he outscores Rodgers, and he's going to differentiate. Certainly over multiple games, it's really hard to see the Packers winning without using Adams. Uh, so over multiple games, he's going to have enough points and yeah, I mean, the, the the way that Rodgers winds up outscoring the other quarterbacks who are all going to have some points and there are going to be some teams who play two and, and obviously even three games who don't make the Super Bowl because we don't have buys on both sides. I, I mean, I would think the most likely scenario even in a Packers Super Bowl run is that basically a quarterback that didn't make the Super Bowl is in more more of the, you know, more likely scenarios than Rodgers and Adams is the receiver just because, you know, again, over a three-game run, he's so likely to have produced a lot of receptions and yards and touchdowns when they're winning games. And that would be the similar possibility there with Henry since he's playing in one last game. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Ben, it is time to do just a, a quick little dynasty preview here. We mentioned it. We, we do have a, a couple of moments for it. So the story was we picked up four first-round picks for – 2022 we'll have obviously a lot of content going in to how we hope to play that maybe trade out of some of those picks continue to create uh, future first rounders and second third rounders right we have to cut down to 16 players that will be good players good veteran players in these drafts which i think is a fun reason to play the rotoviz triflex leagues through the ffpc if that element appeals to you at all to know that your rookie drafts are actually going to be very loaded and have this sort of double element. I like that. It's fun to be looking at what veterans you might want to pick and where you would select them. And it's these rookies who obviously are just so much fun. It's, it's very hard to pull the trigger on a veteran when you have a rookie sitting there. Even if you know that the, the odds that someone like an Anthony Schwartz hitting playing for you again with rosters that aren't super deep if you can force yourself onto some of those veterans you can really build out kind of a, a fun team there but our team went i believe 10 and 4 we did get some luck in terms of opponents points 
But even with that, we had enough victory points to make the playoffs. We lost in the quarterfinals, and now the new league year is opening up. There are already some interesting players on the trade block in Deontay Johnson, Darren Waller, Austin Eckler. And you know, what are your thoughts here in terms of how patient or impatient we would like to be? Obviously, if you trade out of the first three and a half rounds of the startup, then it doesn't make a lot of sense to go and trade for veterans just one year in. Uh, we actually had drafted Austin Eckler at one point in the startup and traded him. He had a very good season. We'll have to break that trade down in a little more detail later on to see if we feel like we came out ahead in that at all. But obviously we have a deep lineup. We have a lot of wide receivers. We like our tight ends in Gesicki, Fryermuth, and Cole Komet. One of those three guys, I think, is going to ascend to the level of a TJ Hawkinson type of player, you know, within the next year, year and a half, and give us some firepower there with a tight end premium. We have Kyler Murray, we have Derek Carr, who, you know, his lack of weapons mitigated the fantasy outcome of this, but I think that he is now establishing himself as a reality, you know, definitely top 15 QB that the fantasy points in the future will come. He still has a pretty decent window to play here at the NFL. So when it's super flex to feel like you've got a decent foundation with the quarterback position is always nice. And so we have these three important positions with depth and good players, but then our running backs after James Conner aren't particularly strong. So seeing these guys, Deontay Johnson, Darren Waller, Austin Eckler, any initial thoughts? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, one thing you mentioned, we traded out of the first several rounds, but then we did trade back into Kyler Murray in the in the startup. So that's a good um, that's a good we were kind of, you know, straddling the fence a little bit because we did wind up with a top five overall pick, essentially, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I think it is it is challenging. Like, like Eckler, I think, was a smart one to be willing to trade. He'll be 20, what is it, 28 or 27 at the start of next year. He's definitely not young. I, I think you know a lot of people will emphasize that it's volume that is a, a, a part of it. He could continue to produce into his later 20s because he didn't have huge volume early in his career. I don't reject that necessarily, but it's still like pretty clear that he's on the back end of the age curve. He's had hamstring issues. He's had some things that can recur. You know, for him, an injury plague 22 could really tank his value. Yeah, any dip, whether it's injury-related or performance-related, and suddenly there's no value, which is not initially the direction you want to go when you're making trades. Right. And then you mentioned Waller, who will be 30 next year, and Eckler will be 27. He turns 27 in May, so not you know, not 28. It's not quite there, but um, Waller will be 30 as well, and maybe sort of a similar argument for some people that he broke out kind of late, and so... Uh, maybe he has some more career longevity. I don't know. Um, I, I do think that it's hard to make the case that these guys are appreciating assets, certainly. Um, you know, not to boil them down to, to assets. I know people don't love the, that type of uh, terminology sometimes, but they're, they're certainly on the back end of, of the age curve. And so we have to consider that element. Um, I think Deontay Johnson is a really interesting one. He had a great year. He's sort of a a guy that I think makes some sense to buy high. I think there's some concern that with Ben Roethlisberger leaving, that might be a problem because Ben likes Deontay so much. 
I, I still just, you know, you look at his target rate, you look at his targets per route run, the consistency of it. And I think there's also a path where that is because he is such a good route runner. He's so good at consistently being open and being in the right spots and all of those things that we see where the wide receiver, it is a skill to have such a strong targets per route run. They're the, the, the side of it. It's not that Ben likes him as much as he's just that good. And so another quarterback could come in and, and we could still see, I mean, maybe it comes down a little bit, the targets per route run, the target share, all of those things but we could still see him be a very dominant target hog and then arguably have efficiency upside, right? Because now you have potentially uh, a better quarterback, which I'm not sure that there are a ton of quarterbacks that would be considered worse than the way that Ben Roethlisberger played this year. Uh, maybe not necessarily for Deontay specifically with a lot of the underneath stuff, but there's the potential for more potential, you know, explosive plays and downfield looks and those types of things. So, tell you it can always get worse and perhaps a lot worse yeah yeah we always got to go back to dj more man. <laughs> but yeah no i mean i think he's the one that stands out to me he's not particularly young either but 25 will be 26 next july obviously wide receiver age curves are a little bit different um and so for him it's a couple of years now where he's not on the on the downswing of the age curve until at least 28 right and and then you can start to make that case but even then maybe that's still part of the prime so you have two three years of potentially you know potentially seeing him produce even more than he has and, and he's been so good the target numbers probably have to come down a little like i said but if efficiency can rise you know he, he still has some some potential big seasons ahead of him and so of those names certainly i mean he's he's got to be the priciest or maybe Eckler's more more expensive i don't know but He's the one that I that stands out to me, even though we are so deep at receiver. Um, he's the one that I'm interested in. The tricky part for us is that we actually are going to need to sell some players because we can't keep everybody that we already like. And we'd love to move some of the depth that we have, both in terms of players and in terms of picks, into 2023. And this doesn't have really anything to do with the fact that some people like the 2023 draft, I mean, that could play out that way or it could not. But just if you're trying to build deep teams and you have roster limits, you have to keep moving into the future in order to maximize the overall value that you have there. And so we're probably looking to actually move out of guys. And then just to kind of piggyback on what you said, it's so difficult to trade players like Eckler and Waller because they have so much value to the current team. And yet they're going to definitely be worth less in a future year. And so we talk a lot about this idea of the perpetual championship window or the permanent championship window, perpetual reloading. And that doesn't mean that you couldn't make a move if you had someone who was going to be sold at a price that was easily workable. If you had a piece that you weren't going to be able to use anyway, if you were able to move some of that cost into the future where you know that you're actually going to still be loaded there, you could take that. But you have to sort of have this meeting of the minds with the other participant where they're willing to take some of the things that you have. And for a lot of players, if you have a younger player, and this is the thing that you mentioned with Deontay Johnson, it's not just sort of how the players are aging, but what we know in terms of the trade value curves and our buddy Patrick Green did some fantastic research research on this when he was you know writing for Rotoviz and I still refer to that all the time because you can see just in you know if you're in 10 15 dynasty leagues and you send out a lot of trade offers 
hopefully you respond positively when people send you trade offers to encourage them to make more offers. And so you get a lot of offers as well. You can tell what the prices are for all of these different types of players, right? And the wide receivers are just going to be tradable much later on in their careers. And so even if Deontay Johnson has some problems with the quarterback next season, which seems very realistic, then you still have this sort of bounce back appeal of, well, he's still in this age where he could score a lot of points. He's got good trade value. If the next QB comes in and fixes those problems, his value jumps back up. Well, you can sell that to a lot of different people. Whereas, you know, if you have Eckler or Waller, you're looking at a much thinner section of your league who really would be a fit. And, and you want to have as many players at all times who would be fits for all of your opponents, all the other participants, as opposed to players who are just fits for like one person. Because then if you can't agree on the price, it doesn't really matter if it's a fit. You still can't get that trade done, right? And so... And there's an element with Deontay as well, where like he of these players, and again, like it's not particularly novel because he's the youngest, but he's a guy who can still gain value, right? Like we saw Debo Samuel gain value this year. He's a, just like a half a year older than Deontay Johnson, I think, um, in like basically the same age season. Uh, we we saw Stephon Diggs last year, right, when he moved to Buffalo at like age 27. Finally, see that that value in that that jump in terms of us viewing him as like a potential top 10 receiver. Now maybe he slipped back after 2021 a little bit, but there's still this potential for Deontay over the next couple of years. If the positive things hit, like I was describing where he can gain a lot of value too, right? He definitely can. And that kind of brings up the question of is Samuel someone you would ever consider parting with? He's the guy that we could get the most for and in terms of this wide receiver depth, we have him, we have DJ Moore, we have Tyler Boyd, who a very disappointing season yet scored very well down the stretch. I think he's going to have multiple solid, very playable seasons in the future. We have guys like Juju Smith-Schuster and Michael Thomas, who obviously didn't play a lot. We have Odell Beckham, who did rehab his value a little bit there with the Rams. It could be interesting depending on you know what his situation is for 2022. He gets in with a good QB and is able to keep that. And one of the reasons why he wanted to sign with the Rams is this idea that maybe he plays with the Rams going forward and has that rapport with someone like a Matthew Stafford. And obviously the big discussion about Stafford, and I think very justifiably so over the last you know several weeks, it's just that Stafford, the quarterback for both Megatron and Cooper Cup, two of the biggest seasons ever we have will fuller so a lot of injured guys right but players who have maybe not the value that they had previously but with so much depth we could make a lot of different moves here we've got young guys in elijah moore and rondell moore one of the things that i do see dynasty players do especially when they are trying to rebuild or they are in the, this mindset of perpetual reloading is that they they reload or they get the first part of that and then they want to see what more what, what those young guys can do right so they want to see what a rondell moore could do in his second year they want to see what elijah moore could do in his second year in his third year and part of that you're going to need to do because if you're always moving these guys and you have exclusively a young team then you're looking at a lot of rookie performances maybe you don't get the buy that you need and one of the things that happened to us 
this season is we lost in the quarterfinals. Obviously, you lose in the quarters and it's all done. If you get that by, then you eliminate that landmine. At the same time, based on what our roster is now, I mean, you can see how even if you're going very, very young, it's difficult to build a team that's exclusively young because at some point to, to, to draft more young players, you're drafting guys who have no value, right? And so when we picked Odell Beckham and Michael Thomas, our other options were to take players we knew at this point, their shots of actually being relevant were so minuscule. They're like, yeah, I mean, Odell Beckham, Michael Thomas, will take those guys. Those things didn't exactly work out. And yet both of those players... I still are, are far preferable to have now than if we had taken shots on these super long shots, right? And so you're going to naturally have players at different points in their careers, like a DJ Moore, like a Debo Samuel, as you build these teams out. And one of the best ways to generate a lot of continual future value is to just move these young guys again, to move around Rondell Moore. Now, he might be a little bit trickier because people were not happy with how the Cardinals use him, justifiably so. But Elijah Moore, someone who, yeah, you could move him and maybe you miss this huge career, but if someone is already willing to pay as though that's guaranteed, then you continue to keep your options very open. You continue to have a lot of future picks to continue to move this and to build this team that really at some point has almost exclusively stars. Yeah, I love that. The Elijah Moore thing is is really interesting because I think – it's so easy, I think, to to when when we see all these positive signs to be like, well, I'm going to get 10 years of great production. But like, that's just not how guys' careers play out. It is so difficult for a player to even just stay healthy that long to basically do like what Mike Evans has done, where he's had the thousand yards every season. That is just so rare. It's why Mike Evans is the first guy to ever do it for as long as he has to start a career in terms of consecutive thousand yard seasons. We see. So much more frequently that guys do wind up being very good, but there are ups and downs and their values are, are going up and down for maybe one year to the next. I mean, like we were just talking about Stefan Diggs, like he has been somebody who throughout his career, you know, you and I have been very high on, but there's no question that, you know, certain off seasons and certain years he's been viewed differently than others. And, yeah, there's just nothing that's that bankable. So if someone's willing to pay you for it being clearly bankable. I mean, even Odell, who you mentioned early in his career, was a 101 in Dynasty Startups, and rightfully so. He was so good, so young. But look at the way his career played out. It was really just like an early, early massive peak, and we're still now hoping to see some of that upside again at some point before his career is over. But it might go down that, you know, it was just – the early the early years that were massive and then he had a, a very early peak and then it was just sort of all downhill from there so yeah i it, it it is interesting to think about the different ways they can play out you don't want to necessarily part with a guy who could go on to be just an absolute superstar over whatever 10 years but even if they are like i mean even the evans example which is a clear pro example as good as he's been as consistent as he's been He's only had a couple of seasons where he's been, you know, a top five guy. And I think maybe his third year was the one year where he was the, was he the overall wide receiver one that year? I think so. But point I'm making is as good as Evans has uh, unquestionably been for a dynasty team in hindsight, in any individual given year, his production wasn't irreplaceable, right? And you can continue to to adjust your roster and, and you're, obviously always advocating for 
continually uh, making trades and, and trying to improve and continually reloading. A lot of those years, there were other players that you maybe could have gotten cheap that produced as well as Evans. So just sitting on it, even when they are productive, if they're, say, a low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two for their whole career, and they stay, and that's the, the positive outcome, and they stay very productive over this really long stretch, even that isn't necessarily giving you the current year advantage every single year that it kind of feels like when you when you look back at the the whole career and say, well, look, this guy was really good for so long. So there's a lot of ways these things can play out, but uh, it's not like Elijah Moore is destined to be Jamar Chase or something like now. If it was Jamar Chase, I think that's a different discussion because Jamar Chase is going to be the wide receiver one every single year for the next 10 years. And so, you know, we know that. Yeah, well, I mean, Justin Jefferson is like, I'm going to have a quarterback. I'm going to put up some. But no, I agree with you completely. Even if you look at our own, own roster here, and these aren't guys we necessarily drafted with that expectation, but you can look at the, their career arcs. Will Fuller, somebody who looked like he was just going to be this monster vertical force with some other types of plays mixed in with Deshaun Watson. Obviously, multiple things went wrong there. He does have a couple of seasons that were very playable, but some other seasons that were very frustrating. Uh, you look at Juju Smith-Schuster, who had their extremely impressive rookie season, and then in year two, scores almost 300 points. So you can imagine what you would feel like if you traded him before year two, and you see that near 300 up there. Well, you know, if you if you traded him after year two, then you've made an absolute killing because his value since then has been pretty minimal. And so we want to continue to create as many paths to victory as possible. So we'll look at potentially selling some of these guys and trying to generate some 2023 value it's almost a thing where it's a you know it can be a little bit frustrating if sort of the whole community gets a little bit ahead of themselves looking at 2023 as an epic class and people are holding on to those picks and, and won't make some moves but again i mean they're going to be teams here who feel like they're more in a window and especially if a team feels like it's in a window and isn't really giving up that much because they're looking at some of these young players as players that they could do a lot with. That's one of the reasons why I always try and make sure we get out there and let people know that the young players are available because sometimes the assumption is that you just will never trade your young guys. The flip side of that is that when you make those trades, you actually do have to create multiple paths, right? You can't just make this trade and get even more uncertainty and less overall value. And that part can be tricky too, because once you let people know that, okay, it is possible to make a move, then sometimes you're going to get offers that don't reflect what the value is. And so all of these things are going to come down to price, but we want to be flexible in terms of how we look at players of, of all ages and try and get guys in there who are going to create as much depth as possible, create as much future value as possible. And then Ben, one of the things that I think you were also kind of alluding to there is just that it's so easy to feel overconfident about the future. We want to make sure we get as many points into our starting lineup as possible. And yet, when you're talking about what's going to happen in 2022, what's going to happen in 2023, we can sometimes be overconfident in terms of what's going to be a powerful starting lineup and make some mistakes there as opposed to creating as much total value and believing that some of these guys are going to really rise and be better starters than it seems like now. Absolutely. There's the, the certainty of chaos, right? And so I think in Dynasty, I mean, I know for me, when I was first starting, the goal is like, I'm going to build this team by hitting on all these young players. And then as they all get into the, their primes together, it's going to be just a perfect team for 
five years and I'm going to win every single championship in my dynasty league for five straight years because I built such an amazing team. And even if you get there, and that's hard enough to do, right? But even if you get there, I think there's still merit to everything we're saying. We're like, you get there and you have this lineup that looks so amazing in, in the current year, then it's probably an indication you want to sell and stockpile some future assets. And even if it's making your current year a little bit less impressive, um, it is the the you know perpetual reloading, the continual reloading in the sense that you're not making yourself overly fragile to one season being so chaotic that you have multiple guys. Like when you have really expensive dynasty players, the only thing they can really do is lose value. We just talked about so many. I mean, Juju and Odell and all these guys that at specific times were so, so valuable and have lost tons and tons of value since. And it can happen so quick is the other side of that. Um, and so even if you get to that point where you have realized a lot of value gains and built this roster that from a current year value perspective is so much better than a lot of your team, you know, your lead mates. It's almost like that's the point at which you need to then start making your team worse for the current year and, and buying assets into the future so that you can continue that perpetual reloading, continue to, you know, have things that are making passive income for you, right. You know, have these picks that aren't going to lose value no matter what. Exactly. And we'll continue to sort of chronicle our RV Triflex Dynasty journey, look at the different elements of Dynasty play, and let people know if some of these things work or don't work. It's going to be fun, Ben, because we have a roster and a set of picks to where we have a lot of flexibility, right? So we're kind of in this building type of phase, but we're not in the phase where and this is why you know you want to start it right from the beginning. You never have the tear down. You never have the okay. I'm three years away because I've only got two or three things that are valuable, and I've got to be patient. We have so many paths in the short term, so it should be a fun team to kind of let people in on the journey with us here. So there'll be more of that as we go forward. That will do it for today's episode of Ceiling Bananas. It's been such a good time chatting with Ben. As always, we'll see how our individual FFPC playoff tournament teams do. Uh, I have an aggressive projection for how Ben and the ship chasing crew will do on their rosters, which I will make tonight on ship chasing, but that will be yesterday evening for those listening to this episode as it will release on Friday morning. Again, subscribe to our feed. You'll get those as they come out. Leave us a rating and review if you can. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. He's got some cool things planned for the offseason, so make sure you subscribe to Stealing Signals. If you want a 10% discount at Rotoviz, use the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. We'll talk to you soon. today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.